Trash. Trash. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of We Speak English Good. Today's guest is a gentleman I had the pleasure of seeing live at a street fair in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and I the music was so captivating that I had to reach out to him and talk to him and get him on the show. And he was nice enough to come on. It, his name is Baoku Baoku. Bauku. <laughs> I always mess it up. I'm sorry. Bauku uh, Moses. Um, now, on this episode, we talk about a myriad of things, but one of the things that I wanted to point out and kind of give you an update of where I'm at is having to get a job and go back to work because music isn't paying all the bills. And yesterday I started my first day at UPS as a package handler and I'm very sore and it sucks and my wrist hurts, but it's good exercise. So stay positive, right? But I wanted to point that out because in this business, music isn't always going to be able to pay your bills. In San Diego, I was able to make some ends meet and, you know, we weren't rich, but we were getting by and it was uh, it was an awesome way to make money. But when you're breaking into new markets, especially markets that might be a little small, like Toledo, um, it's not going to, you're not just going to waltz into town and just go right to work. Although... <laughs> Maybe it was a different time, but when I was reading the Miles Davis book, he just sort of waltzed into any town and just went to work. But he was Miles Davis. I'm Mike, who, well, whatever. I was just scanning Craigslist, like looking at the sad, dismal posts that uh, exist here, and uh, it's sad. I am going to try out for a band out in Detroit on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, and we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm not sure if I'll be interested, but I, I thought I'd go and just meet people. And that's how I started working regularly in San Diego. I just answered a Craigslist ad. And although the band that I tried out for did not work out, um, there was a couple players in that band who had their own bands. And I ended up getting drafted into their bands and, you know, out of that one fateful night, I got a lot of work. So, I don't know, maybe something like that will happen with this, but, you know, my expectations are eh, non-existent. I'm just going up there with a fresh mind and a fresh spirit. Um, Anyways, so I'm not going to ramble on too much. I just wanted to point that out that there that when you move around as a musician when you're and you know trying to break into new markets it's not always gonna be just waltz right in and go right to work um it's gonna be a challenge especially if you don't teach lessons or i don't know (laughs) there's other stuff it just takes time it just takes time so Anyways, you go ahead and write the show at wespeakenglish at gmail.com. Let me know what you think on breaking in new markets or having to go back to work. Um, and 
you can check out the website at we speak English good at um, no it's we speak English good dot net which it's still just sort of a barren plain website but you can access all the past shows on there so anyways um let's get to Baoku Moses and enjoy <music> Let's start at the beginning. So, uh, where are you from, man? I'm originally from Nigeria, and, and I moved. I moved to Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati area, this part of the country, uh, in 2002. Okay, right on. And what was there a? Um, do you come from a musical family? Uh, no, no. I am actually the only one in my immediate family that play music oh okay right on what what uh what was your home life like when you were growing up um growing up i grew up with a farmer dad who was a kind of gardener oh. people tend to their farms and a seamstress mom and it's just regular you know survivor of the fittest right on. um that that is just almost anywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, including America, here we see it every day where people just try to survive and try to try to try to you know, struggle, struggle and try to just make ends meet. So that's pretty much what my upbringing is like. Right on. Um so what how how did you get involved with music? What what drew you to it? Um in Nigeria music is always around us. Um Professionally, is a different story. Well, how, so how about from the beginning? How, how did you recreation? Uh-huh. Yeah, recreational music is always around us. You know, music in Nigeria, you find it anywhere. Cultural folklore music, it's on the streets, is in the church, is in the mosque. It's everywhere you look. There is that cultural music going on where people are always using music and drumming and dance and singing folk folk music to celebrate something. Nigerians are big in celebration, you know, they celebrate uh, when children were born, they celebrate when you build a new house, they celebrate when you buy a new car, they celebrate when you get a new job, they celebrate everything, including funeral, when someone important, even someone just died, just in general. They celebrate life and stuff like that. So, um, so his music is always around us as far as the folk traditional music. But now to become a professional to actually do it, that is a different story. So I didn't find that aspect of me until I was 21. Uh, that was back in 1994. That's when I found found my path in performing arts. Oh, that's awesome! And then, what was like? I, I know you're a percussionist, so you you started with the hand drums. Yeah, actually, um, back in '94, I started as an actor. Oh, um, cool! I found I found a I found a company, um, a, a cultural art company by Act of God. I guess it's Destiny. I call it, and I joined them in '94 and. I was acting, you know, small time, you know, cultural and theater group and, you know, learning how to act, how to 
be around stage. But then we play little music here and there, just little music where um, we, 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 we sing as part of the acting. Sometimes there are a bunch of different songs. And then that was the first time I we owed a cowbell. And the director of that company kind of noticed that, wow, your hand is very steady on the cowbell that have you been playing before? Like, no, I've never played before. This is my first time being exposed to stuff like this. So anytime we are singing, they will let me play the cowbell. We didn't really have a bunch of music going on. And then from there, um, I joined and moved on, kind of moved up to another, a bigger, much bigger company. And in that company, um, this was in 95, they had more more drumming going on, you know, um, but it's more acting, but this time around it's like cinema, big time theater, and movies, and stage uh, presentation, just big time acting, yeah. but with more cultural drumming, singing, and dancing involved. So there I learned, I was still learning how to act, be on stage, but singing and drumming became something I did more. Um, and then later on in 96, I moved on to another company where I'm sorry, I, I was... I'm so sorry uh -huh. to interrupt. Um, so mm -hmm. are you saying that you acted in the movies and... and yes. Oh, wow. Yes, back, in my, uh, back then, yes, I did. Uh, I did. Are those I movies... Actually, oh, uh, there, there are a few... And back in the thing is that I was only at these different places a year at a time. Uh -huh. And back at my very first company, I I was in a TV program, but that TV program I didn't think it ever see light of day. The second company that I was in for another year, I was in about two different movies. But this was this was like in the nineties, uh -huh. way way back. I'm not sure if you'll find those uh, those uh, programs but then i moved to the third company where i can actually i know if i search very well i will find things but these third companies was more like a cultural cultural actually a company that is focused on preserving promoting and performing um nigerian cultural performances so it's more it's more like stage performances no movie, nothing, but just more stage performances for recreation and performance purposes. And drumming, like epic from the way back when, kind of drumming, singing, and dancing uh, from all over Nigeria. But that is where I spent most of my years, six and a half years, that I learned everything that is kind of my foundation as a performing artist today. That's where I learned it from. That's the other group were just kind of like a stepping stones. Uh -huh. um, you know, one one group, one company after the other. Those two first two groups were like my stepping stones to this third group where I learned like immense knowledge of my culture from. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's quite a that's quite a journey to go from acting to, mm -hmm. especially. Uh, were you well known in Nigeria, or were you just? Um, when by the time I left, I was on the rise ah. because um, 
I was I was when I moved to that third company, I started as an actor and a dancer. Mm. So I I'm trained as a dancer as well. So I was dancing for my first year and stage acting, and by my second year I switched to becoming a drummer. So I was learning a bunch of a Nigerian style drumming from different region of Nigeria, and by my third or fourth year. I have learned enough to become like a lead drummer, and by 1999, I had become a, a good lead drummer to where I was on the rise to where I've been. I'm been. I'm taking on project on my own as a music director. That we have big projects that I will be part of, but I will, the music of that project, like if it's like a theater project or a stage project, if the music of that project will be solely and rely, I'll be I'll be responsible for leading the music ensemble. So I was on the rise, and then I had my band around ninety eight, ninety nine. I had my first band back in Nigeria. So by the time um, I will actually start getting to where I'll become known. I left Nigeria in 2002. Wow. So I wasn't, I won't say I'm well known. I'm not like well known by the time I left Nigeria. But, but I was on the rise. I had had at the time eight and a half years, solid eight and a half years of uh, training, professional training and performances under my belt. Th that's awesome so was your band in nigeria was that afrobeat as well yeah it was afrobeat yeah my band in nigeria um afrobeat came came about in my life later in life um after felakuti died in 97 i was already an artist for three years and already composing already writing on you know i discovered my ability to compose and write and um and think and kind of use the ingredients the world around me nature people people's story story of the world around me to kind of con you know construct scripts and songs and stuff but then when when fella kuti died um they released ban on his music and his music became like like nationally known for the first time in the in, in in history because when he was alive because of the revolution messages in his music the government didn't allow his music to be widespread so there was there was embargo on his music so after his death they figure well he's there he's gone now he won't be here to lead the revolution so there is embargo on his music and and I started listening. I like, whoa, this guy is speaking the truth. I would like to be, I like to write something like this, produce something like this, and that was it. And this was in '97. And since then, my band, my first band, then was, you know, I did my first demo, and then I started the band in '98, '99, performed '99, 2000, 2001, and then when I was coming though, I didn't come with my band. I came by myself. I came with another band. I, I was performing with another band. I was a percussionist, um, a singer, and then um, did pretty much I arranged, I did everything in that band for, for this other, other lady that I came with. 
No, are are you um? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not trying to change the subject off of you because um, I, I I remember it's your show. <laughs> it's your it's your show. You can do no, no. Because you want I'm actually really interested on the Fela Cootie thing because I I love Fela Cootie mm-hmm. and um, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just curious that was his because I I. I I was in '97. I was too young to to really get into Fela Kuti, um, mm-hmm. although I think I would have liked it at that age still. But mm-hmm. um, was Fela Kuti known worldwide then, or was it sort of like he was sort of? Yeah, uh, Fela Kuti, Fela Kuti in '97 was around when he died. He was already a international superstar. Okay. At the time, at the time of his death, he was already a global superstar, known all over the planet, including Nigeria. It's just that his message is not necessarily him. It was his message that has been suppressed mm. by the government at the time because the, the the messages were so powerful, it could cause uproar because calling for action is part of what he did a lot yeah. uh, about about his, with, with his lyrics and music so they suppressed that from the masses until after his death but yeah it was already known globally so so was Fela Kuti he was known what was his music sort of traded like um underground then or? yes okay yes um yes um to my knowledge to my knowledge mm. there are there are several other stories but for me personally, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, To my knowledge, his music was pretty much in Nigeria underground. You get it by buying his vinyl that is released from outside Nigeria oh. into Nigeria, you know, through uh, international companies. Oh. You either get it from vinyl, you know, at the time there's no internet. You yeah. either get his music from vinyl, either is that that was expensive back in back then in Nigeria because they make it so expensive or you get it um, through going to his shrine. So he performed religiously when he was alive. He performed uh, every week, every weekend at his, uh, at his where it's called, uh, Felash, where it was uh, famously called Felash Shrine and it's his home where he lived and, and stuff like that. So he performed religiously every single every single um every single week so and you either go there to go see his show when it's not traveling and touring around the world you either go there to go see his show or you get the music from your friend maybe via cassette or vinyl that is like his music was not like widespread like it is today because of the message inside of it that was kind of trying to be suppressed from people that won't cause uproar. So his music was pretty much almost underground, not quite, but close to it. Right, right. And and was there any repercussions from authorities if you were caught with the music at all, or was it just sort of, um, sort of just um, there's just it, a just it's, no. It's more like um, from uh, from experience also, from personal experience also. Not my, not from my parents. But it's kind of like a general notion. Nigeria, Nigeria is divided into like different classes. Mm-hmm. So if you don't belong in certain class, there are some things you will do, and people will look like look at you weird. So from class standpoint, there are people that classify as fellow followers. 
and because you know he's a kind of like because government really want to bring him down they tarnish his image mm. so they they kind of reverse who he really is oh okay so so that so he is this powerful the most brilliant mind of that time speaking truth to power and to not just in nigeria but across africa and globally that what he sees the way he sees it he speaks it in his music but to be able to overshadow that greatness they create another image for him like mm -hmm. oh he's a pot smoker he has several wives i don't i know you've probably studied his story by now yeah you know, he has several wives if you if you're a fellow follower then you are considered bad person oh okay so 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 because of that you know people are very cautious families mm. that are considered good family would like oh don't they don't want to see their child gotcha. last follower so people are kind of cautious about going public about you know mm. just me listening to him or going to his shrine even people back then there are people that will sneak around because he showed that he put, he put up good shows yeah and they still want to see it and they will sneak around just to get in those are the stories that we heard but i wasn't part of those because i was young at the time and you know struggle and surviving is the name of my game at the time to where i don't even think i can afford it if i was exposed to it yeah so i didn't get exposed to all that all that about his life i learned most of the things that I learned about him after he had passed. Mm. Right on, yeah. So they they sort of like so they sort of demonized the music and anybody who listened to yes, it and yes, sort of how like yes, they did with um, that, like hip hop exactly. in in the uh, in the in the early '90s with like Dr. Yes, Dre and stuff. Yes, in America, exactly, they demonized exactly. it. And, okay, I got you. Exactly. Okay, that's awesome. I I appreciate that uh, that that perspective because. I came into Fela Kuti as just um, I, I don't even know how I heard about him. I just I just I really like funk music. I really like jazz. Mm -hmm. I really love rhythm and polyrhythms. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. it just fit perfectly into my taste of music. When when I don't even remember when I heard him, but yeah, I, I love yeah. Fela Kuti. I think my favorite album is um, is he did a show with Ginger Baker. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Live with Ginger Baker, and it's mm -hmm. just incredible. That that whole album mm -hmm. is just insane. So let's get back to you. So you, um, so in two thousand one, in ninety seven, I discovered Fela. Started writing since then. Moved here two thousand and two, and the journey continued. So, so what um you said you compose the music um are you a trained musician? Like, can you read notes? Can you write music? Um, so, um, I've been blessed. I'll call it a blessing. Some people will say maybe it's a downside. Sometimes I see it as downside myself. No, I theoretically am not trained in, in being able to sight read mm -hmm. and being able to write music, um, the way you will and in Western world. Right. Um, like in Western music, like uh, classical jazz, but I've been blessed to be able to have coined my way of writing, uh, like from day one. So um, my blessing is being able to combine um, the tonation from my language, my Yoruba language, 
and being a percussionist to be able uh, able to use the sound of drum to mark my tone uh-huh. that I want to write. So both both of the those two things blend them together, and then if I'm writing 150 different notes, I am using three notes. So when you are when you get my composition as a as a as a musician now, as a professional musician now, then you start to decode it. And then you start to siphon out all the all the notes that are talked into what I wrote. But no, I did not learn music um, in like a music school yeah. or anything other than my professional and cultural training that I that I got. My call, my compositions are done based on my language, verbally, or the tone of my drum, which all actually those two things actually sync. They sync together because they have three notes each, mm-hmm. and the three notes are identical. They're the same notes. Okay. So I use those three notes um, to write like hundred percent everything that I write. Now, now it's easier. Now my early compositions like. Let's say from like ninety four up until up until I get here. Let me put it that way. Because since I've been here, I've been using recording devices to kind of record my voice, record my lines, record my choruses, bass line, guitar lines, yeah. uh, horns and whatever I need to write. I've been but early on when I started in ninety four. That is how I will, you know, when you see my writing, you will see notes. After I write the words down, you see my tonation notes on top of it that remind me what I wrote down to be able to bring the tone back to memory. So that is what I did for a long time. But no, I didn't have those um, theory training, the standard music theory training. Yeah, I mean, like self-taught pretty much awesome me too me too i mean like i i over the years i've picked up a few things but for the most part it's all by ear i'm also a musician and um Mm -hmm. so so i i totally understand what you're saying i i think it's fascinating that you had that you created your own um i mean essentially your own language um, yes to communicate what you that's awesome and then so now you you sort of will hum out a bass line and then like yes. hum out um or, or sing out like horn lines yeah. so anything anything essentially anything you hear if you're playing a track of my song uh-huh. like a pick it pick from my first album if you're playing a track everything you're hearing in it i create it and i will i will sing the lines out to the instrument, to the musicians, they'll pick it up and then layer it on top of each other like that. Um, so, so they they'll pick it up and layer it again, and they find the notes on their instrument yeah. and play it back. That's I have awesome. several songs. Several I love songs. that. I love that. Um, have you ever heard? Have you heard that? Um, you can probably find it on YouTube. But have you ever heard that Michael Jackson, how mm-hmm. he demoed out his songs? He actually. Like, um, I think you can actually find Beat It, maybe. Um, and mm-hmm. he's just going through and he just record. He would demo out an entire song with his mouth. So he'd do the drum beat and then he'd mm-hmm. do the bass, like, boo doo boo doo 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 You yeah, know, for, yeah, ba- yeah. you know, for Beat that It. Is how I, that is how that, I, that's how I, that's so cool, music. man. Like, I, I always love that. You should check that out if you've never heard. You should just check out Michael Jackson's vocal, 
um thing it's so it's awesome and i mean you know michael jackson is just incredible um well mm-hmm. i think this is a good time to introduce a song um and i'm so sorry if i'm gonna butcher the words and uh, my apologies but um oro sun sunukun oro shunukun um let's listen to that and then we'll be right back and keep talking
and we're back um so um that song what what is uh what is the meaning of that song uh, what is it to you what are you trying to say what's the message um when i wrote oroshinoko it wasn't just instrumental um i wrote it it was one of the first five songs, five Afrobeat songs that I wrote. Mm. I wrote it, I think I wrote it in 1998. Oh, okay. When I, yeah, when I wrote it, um, I was thinking about our world in general. Um, I, it's important that I let you know that my, my mindset and ideology have evolved over the years from me writing... You know, like Shola, most of his music um, addresses African issue, Nigerian especially, Nigerian issue and Africa at large. But for me, I started that way. You know, most of my music addressed initial in the early stage, addressed Nigerian issue, then Africa issue. But since I've made a crossover to America, uh, since 2002, my mindset actually have been changing to where I begin to see connections between all the problems that we have. That the problem that is happening in Nigeria is not any different from the problem that is happening in America or in Australia. They are kind of similar problem. It's just because different people perceive things differently. Mm -hmm. So. To, to now answer your question is that when I wrote that song, I was thinking about the gap between the rich. I mean, ultra rich, when I'm talking rich, I'm not talking, okay, you can just afford to pay your rent or you can afford a house or you can afford two houses or three. No, I mean, ultra rich. Right. The gap between the rich and the poor was so huge in my mind that I call it deep issue. So Oroshinoku simply mean word for word Oroshinoku means deep issue. So I call the gap between the haves and have nots a deep issue that no one can really explain it. Mm. So in the beginning of that song he's saying who wants to know, who wants to know, who wants to know. Who wants to know reason why Rich men are, you know, I categorize it as the rich men. They're like, you can't really fathom how high up they are. Mm. If you think about it, it's true today, and even more so that they're like way up there, and poor men remain where we are. You know, this is like serious. This is serious situation. This is serious problem. Who can who can try to decipher or decode? the reason why that gap is so much, you know. So that is what that song is talking about. And when I wrote it, like I said, it had, it had a verse, but when I started recording, um, because of lack of backup singers and stuff like that, was the reason why my music are so flexible to mm -hmm. where I can do whatever I want with them. Yeah. So usually I add some things sometimes, sometimes I take some things out. I kind of make my music to where they are very fluid and not like rigid mm -hmm. so so that I can move them around as at will. So that's what that, the foundation of that music is pretty much talking about. The gap between the rich and poor is a deep issue and it's something that needs our serious attention because 
you know, you see, you see how our society is today. So I do, that's what I do. That, that I mean, it's a serious thing. What What do you think that issue is? I mean, like, uh, what What do you think that gap? What do you think it causes, or, or where it comes from? Is it something well, that you've thought through <laughs> since? Then? I I have my I have my theory. I have my theory about that. Um, back in back, you know, growing up, people always equate poverty when they talk about poverty. Even since I've been here, I've heard it over and over too that, oh yeah, poverty is a mindset, you know. Mm. Uh, sometimes they will say, oh yeah, it's lack of education, you know. Mm. There's a song I actually wrote that says poverty is a disease, but the thing is that it's deeper than that, you know. Um, sometimes I, I try to just be mindful of how I talk about it because it's so big of a picture that it ties around how our world works. So, but in a nutshell, kind of. I, I know that I know it's a huge. I I know it's a mm-hmm. big subject that you could probably yeah. fill hours of time with. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, in a, in a, in a yeah. nutshell, though, what I feel like is causing the biggest gap and disconnect is the fact that we humans. You know we are called humankind, right? Yes. The kind, kindness aspect of humankind is being separated, mm. is being removed. You know they call it mankind, yeah. humankind. The kind is being disconnect, is being removed from human. Another is one. Number two, we humans we are slowly and slowly forgetting how to be humans more and more every day. Because if we try to reconnect with our root as human, we will see that way back, yeah, way back when there's always greed, there's always selfishness, there's always, you know, someone that wants it all. But at the same time, if we think about it way back when, we, we remember that there was always community there was always people touching people. There was always a neighbor that would look and say, oh, you need that. Okay, I have extra. Here you are. You know, the, the greed is always there. You know, it, like in that song, Oroshinoku, the verse actually addresses, I said, is a, is, is, is a thing about category. You know, when, when, we, when this world is created, whenever, whatever you believe in, take whatever you believe in and think about when this world is created, there's a reason why some people are created. They just wake up one day, their family are the kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some people wake up one day, their family are the chiefs, you yeah. know, that support the kings, that help king make uh, decisions. Some people wake up one day, their family, they are just a fisherman, they are just fishermen. Some people, their family, they are the warriors that go to, that goes to war. So life naturally was created to be in category. But in that category aspect of life, it's, I don't think it was intended that, yo, if you're not in the royal family, you are doomed for poverty. No, it's supposed to be the royalty, wherever it is that all of us work for, that they are in charge of, they're supposed to figure out a way that it will circulate where everybody will enjoy from it. That is the origin of mankind, but we have been disconnected from that. 
we are far, far, more and more, we continue to go far, far, far away from being humans, from being people. If we remember, if we can come back to being people, saying that, oh, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who I am, we are still human because our destiny is the same. We were born and we're going to die. It makes no difference what, how much money you have, whether you have it in billions and trillions or whether I have it in penny and nickel. When we are both living, exiting, where even when we feel, let's say we are reincarnating and moving to another realm, we're taking zero penny each. Yeah. Because yeah. we came with zero penny. So we, we kind of forget we've been disconnected from that. That is, for me, that is where I will start the conversation mm. of the gap between rich and poor. Because the thing is that if the rich person can think back and be human and say, well, why do I have $30 billion when my neighbor next door is being evicted from their house? You know what I mean? Yeah. If we can be compassionate, like, okay, what does he need? He needed to pay $30,000 for a house? Okay, I can afford that 150,000 times over. Yeah. Let me do that for at least one person. That one person paying it forward will do the same for someone else maybe tomorrow. Even if they forget, somehow that will still carry over. That's what I mean by people remembering to just continue to be people and touching each other. I feel like if the rich remember to touch the poor, all these things we're talking about, the gap will continue to shrink just mm -hmm. like that. I'm not talking about, you know, Warren Buffett want to give his money away, give it to Bill Gates. That's like dumb. Like that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just people looking and blessing other people just because without expecting any any change back so if we continue if we think about that deeper and able to apply the principle of mankind and humankind into humanity i think that problem could be solved easily yeah i i totally agree with you i, I that you had a, a very eloquent eloquent way of saying that I, that was awesome um yeah, there's like, I mean, even the disconnection between neighbors. The, I mean, you mm -hmm. can live in New York City and live in an mm -hmm. apartment building with 1,800 people in it and not mm -hmm. know a single other person's name. It's weird, right? It is weird. It is weird. I like to I like to know my neighbors, and I just Me moved back. I, I I just moved back from uh, San Diego to Toledo, nice. and. Um, I'm staying at my mom's house for now and my mom doesn't know my neighbors. They don't know anybody. And I haven't had a chance to introduce myself because I just mm -hmm. never see them out. It's just, it's always weird for me to, to see that, to, to not be able to know who the people are who live right next to you. I mean, just mm -hmm. for that simple connection, um, mm -hmm. just that human touch, that human connection, mm -hmm. human connection. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, in San Diego, I knew like all my neighbors around us and we worked as like a small community. We watched um, out. Yes, for, community. Yeah, we, we watched out for each other. We, mm -hmm. you know, if we saw something we didn't like that's going on at the house, we'd say something, mm -hmm. you know, or, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. I would borrow a cup of sugar, you know, the classic. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, that, that is what it's about. Like, like you, you, you want to think about, if you want to think about why, uh, 
people in Africa, let's just say people that are not Western. You know, when we're saying Western, we're talking Europeans, Americans. Mm -hmm. Why do they thrive even in anguish, in sorrow, in poverty? Why do they still continue to thrive? Because they still hold on to the natural essence of life, which is basically, simply put, community. Yeah. I grew up in that. I know it firsthand. Mm. My mom was a huge community. She kind of quiet, but she didn't know herself as a community organizer, but she was. I watched her do do these things where in that little, you know, we didn't have any money. We didn't have much, but I can see it, you know, houses back in Nigeria are built in compound. Mm. You know, compound, if you go to Europe, it's the same way. It's like compound. Each compound represents like sometimes five, six, seven families that will live in the same compound and you see their kids grow together and intermingle, get to know each other deeper than just the vagueness that we have going on today. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, the rich just is like it's like balloon. You know, when you have balloon with no with nothing to hold it down here anymore down here anymore to ground it yeah it just kept flowing hey. just up, up up and above right as far as it can go up. and they and it's almost like they view other people as as not people because mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. because they have because they have surrounded themselves only by other rich by, the, by other rich people and then yes. everyone else it I mean, I mean, like, because I'm sure you've seen, um, I mean, being in Southern California, I've seen tremendous wealth and, and then seeing people, how they treat just a waiter, you know, just someone who's bringing them their food and yeah. how they just don't even see them as another person, mm -hmm. but just see them mm -hmm. as just, you know, a dog bringing them meat mm -hmm. or something. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a sad thing. And, um, yeah. and, uh, so that's, what, that's exactly what that song was talking about. Yeah, you know, that's beautiful. If we remember if we remember to to see that other person, you know, simply because you're wearing a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollar watch, two hundred and fifty thousand dollar shoe, and one million dollar suit, and this waiter is bringing you your food. If you just look at them, you see yourself in them, yeah. and if you're able to do that, that is where the feelings start to kick in. Like, wow, man. Can't even remember when I used to be like that anymore because it's so long time ago. Even if it was a year, money can do that to you where within a year that your life transformed from not having to having, you could forget a lot. Yeah. Just to come back to see yourself from the eye of that person, there's magic in it that we humans are not connected to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think and I think it's important for anybody, um for for anybody listening to just remember that I always say at the end of each show, um, I always say, take care of your fellow human beings. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I say at the end of yeah. each show, because it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, the minute we forget like who we are, mm -hmm. I mean, it, I feel like that, that disconnect, that gap is just going to keep mm -hmm. growing and growing. It's going to keep growing. And even if, even growing. if you're, even if you're not rich, it's like mm -hmm. to seclude yourself or to, or, or just to be a, a, 
angry within and not be able to um, express yourself in mm-hmm. in a, in um and it don't you know in a friendly way it 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 just creates this separation that keeps on getting yeah. bigger and bigger and and yeah. and it's interesting because that I mean, for me, it was interesting to see how many poor people voted for President Trump. And I'm not trying to turn this into a political conversation, but Mm -hmm. um, someone who is obviously very rich and cares very little about poor people still had poor people voting for him in masses. And well, um, I mean, the the thing is that uh, alternatively, though, there there, there are bigger picture being uh, being camouflaged in it that I don't think I'll I'll, I'll be talking much about. It's okay. Uh, I, I didn't I want to take it. To that is that the the it's easy to 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 hit greediness and selfishness in the head with mm-hmm. armor and thing. The thing that Yoruba people, my people, say about that is that, huh? Will you wait till it's your turn? You probably act mm-hmm. exact same way because money. And power in the hand of people is just money and power in the hand of people. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with whether it's A or B or Z or an African or American or Trump or it's just money and power in the hand of people. It's money and power in the hand of people. And you would never, it's very rare or hard to find out how it's going to be when it's your turn, when you are handed yeah. that on the platter of gold. Right. So, Right, yeah. So that's why it's easy to kind of join that bandwagon of, oh, yeah, this is bad, that is bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing in our world, I always try to tell my people, my friends and family and people that listen to what I do as my work, that nothing in our world is at its appear anymore as, as it seems. You know, yeah. everything has layers and layers yeah. and layers and layers and triple quadruple thousands of layers <laughs> yeah. of things on or above and uh, underneath of it that you do not see you know it's easy to just bash what you're looking at but the thing is that what if what you're looking at is just what you are meant to see and you're not supposed to you know it, it takes a, a man now to think alternatively and think beyond what you're looking at and say okay what is beneath it what is driving it so that is, I try to get people to see that a lot versus just like, oh, this is wrong, this is right, this is it, this is art. Mm-hmm. There's more, always more to the story, especially in the world we live in today. Nothing is as they appear. Yeah, and that was, I, I that was a great, uh, that was a great way to handle that <laughs> instead of going into. Um, that whole Trump thing. Um, let's listen to another song. Um, so another song that uh, you sent over was the, and again I apologize for butchering the the words, but uh, Kawa it's de Nasa. Kowa, Kowa de Nasa. Okay. Kowa de Nasa means everybody with their own. Okay. Let's listen to that and come right back.
And we're back. Um, so, uh, please uh, tell me what what's that what that means to you and the message you were trying to um, to send on that song. It actually it actually ties into what we were talking about about nothing is as they appear. Ah. Uh, Kowa de Nasa is a language from the northern part of Nigeria. If you remember, I'm from the south of Nigeria, south south side of Nigeria. But because of my training, my performing uh, performing art training, I was able to ex- be exposed to a bunch of different cultures. And because I lived in Lagos, Lagos is kind of like New York, where people from all over Nigeria are in Lagos. So I'm exposed to some northern states uh, languages. So Kowa de Nasa means everybody with their own when you think about our world it's easy to put everybody in one box you know but what that song was talking about is that we all regardless of where we're coming from where we are at or where we're going we all have our problems they are not the same they're not identical we have our blessings we have our courses, and we have our destiny, and we have our blessing. We have our our blessings. Mm-hmm. You know, things that things that when you people look at us, that makes us unique. We have everything about our life is unique to each and every one of us. But we live in a world where we're supposed to follow the pack. You know, we're supposed to follow in group. We're supposed to follow trend. But the thing is that naturally we are not created like that. We are created to be unique, to stand out, to be individual, to be. While we live in community, we are a bunch of individuals living in a community. So what makes you you is different from what makes me me. And I go further in that song saying even twins. And I'm lucky to say I'm a father to twin boys. Oh. Even twins that were born the same day. They have those things completely opposite of each other. And it's so easy that we stereotype and kind of group people into the same box. Like, oh, yeah, they are this. They are that. They are that. Not actually digging deeper to actually identify what makes this person different from this person and what makes that person unique from that person. So that's what that song is talking about. Oh, that's awesome, man. And that does tie beautifully into what we were just talking about. Um, okay, mm-hmm. so you um you are you're currently recording a new album, correct? Mm-hmm. I I finished recording actually I'm mixing right now another album. Are are you it's mixing it or mixing, mixing it. I'm not mixing it, it's in the studio being mixed. Okay, okay. I, I was just curious and um on the mm-hmm. show we'll talk um i tend to talk a lot about gear or like recording styles yeah i don't know no, no, how to do it that's cool things. that's cool no 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 i no i i i'm i'm really happy about what we've been talking about um uh what what was the studio do you mind shouting out the studio that you were um, working at i i recorded the album at soap float recording studio uh, here in Cincinnati, and the recording engineer's name is Ben Cochran. Mm. He's a very dear friend of mine, very, very solid uh, engineer and producer. We I recorded the album in his studio, and the album is being mixed in his studio right now mm-hmm. as well, and it's Soap Floats a Recording Studio. 
Now, were you guys recording um, track by track, or did you just have the whole band playing at once? I said band. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, that I, I, I really like the recording style of just the band um, because when you uh, when you break down into individual tracks, though it can sound really good, I feel like, especially for Afrobeat, that it would mm-hmm. almost sterilize it and almost make mm-hmm. take away a bit of the energy that you put off because um i saw you live um uh, i it was at um oh, man it was maybe a month ago and it was at a Clifton Fest. Clifton yes Fest exactly well. exactly and, and i just i was just in town my friend she was in town so we went down to cincinnati and we just stumbled upon your band and i was mm-hmm. just completely floored and um I can see how like the years of acting and performing um, really shine through uh, because you're very lively on stage. And if anybody listening, go and just Google a uh, YouTube video of Baoku and you'll see what I mean. Because you get you, you your hands are up, you're you're hitting the drums, you're you're just very mm-hmm. vibrant and, mm-hmm. and very ca- it's very captivating, very captivating. And, um, thank you. Thank you. So with this, um, how long has this band been together since you've been in Cincinnati? Um, right after my first album. My first album was made in 2004. I started the band in 2005. Oh, okay. And since 2005, the band, the band never ceased to be around. The band, I have kept the band alive. Um, it started as Baoku and the Image Afrobeat Band. In 2012, uh, we switched the name of the band to Baoku. Mm. And Baoku is my first name, but it means hope. And for me, the message I carry in my music is not just revolution, revolution, revolution. My, my music carries message of hope for peace, love, and unity. You know, to give hope to the hopeless. People that think, you know, because I've been through a lot in my life. And I'm coming, I'm still coming out on the other side of the river. Mm. And I hope that someday my story will be told and it will be a light that will shine in the darkness of other people that may be going through what I've been through and give them hope that, man, if this guy cross that river, then we'll be able to cross it too, regardless of how deep into the river they are, how much problem they have or how much challenge they have in their life or how, how much they are struggling because I hope that my story will be a message of hope for them to continue to try that one day everything is going to be alright. So that is the deep foundation of what my music is about and that is the foundation that my band is built upon and that is the reason why changing the name of the band from Baoku and the Image Afrobeat Band to Baoku makes sense. And the band has been around, I think I'm on my fifth, if I think very well, probably on my fourth or fifth generation right now. Mm. And the generation of the band today is the best. <laughs> I, awesome. I said to myself, just sitting back like, wow, I'm building, I have a world-class band right now. Yeah. You know, like pretty much, I listen to the band every day, I'm like, wow, I have the best band in the planet right now together. <laughs> I and mean, with the, the good thing about it is that we're not really playing out. We're just happy 
playing music together, making music together, wow. and just enjoying that process of making music and see what happens from there. Do you um do you have have you done any extensive touring or um, nope. no no not yet do you not do you, yet. is this um, something I that have you... managed I have managed the band since two thousand and five till now so I slowed down in performing and touring like last year the band performed about forty five shows mm -hmm. and the year before it was about thirty seven shows so. I see that those are not taking me the place I want to be. Mm -hmm. I want, I want. When you look at me, what do you want, Balku? I want any show that I've managed in the on this planet. I want to play it. So I've not done a extensive touring because it's expensive, yeah. <laughs> and because I run an Afrobeat band. I run a big yeah. band. You know, the least amount of people that can play my music correctly. Is seven to eight people, <laughs> and normal yeah. band is about two, three, four people yeah, in yeah. a tour bus, and they are and they are touring all over the United States. I cannot afford that. Oh, I, so because okay. of that, I kind of use what I call back road, mm -hmm. kind of indirect ways of gaining ground and getting exposure to keep the name of my band solid, both locally regionally, nationally, even internationally. But I get to the point now where I have enough people, like-minded people in the band, that I don't have to worry about playing out a lot. So I'm doing something I call playing meaningful shows. Mm -hmm. so if a show shows up, it's meaningful. I'll take it, we'll play it. But all along, we'll be building the brand and the name of the band, be looking for like a management company or like a manager or a booking agent that is experienced in actually making money for band, not yeah. ripping them off. Yeah, I don't mind being ripped off. Don't get me wrong. Everybody has to be ripped off at certain point in their life before they get to the top. Right. But at least deliver what comes with being ripped off. You yes. know, good shows, exposure, bigger stage, yeah. exposure, not... If you want to book me, show Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, I will say keep it because I've done that by myself. Yeah. You know, I've gone all the way to New York, to Atlanta, to Chicago, you know, taking my band by myself. Uh -huh. So if you don't have anything better to offer me in those places, keep it. <laughs> and I'm fine. I'm fine with just having fun and putting out music online on yeah. videos and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, um, I, in California, I was pretty deep in the reggae scene out there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a Cal, is a California roots reggae scene that goes on out there, and the band I travel with, um, traveled past. Mm -hmm. um, we went out with about eight people, so I, I know what you're saying. Like, and you see the other bands, they'll they'll travel with eight people, and. It's like, how do you make money off of that? Like, how do how do you go? How do you feed your family with eight people and playing little tiny bars? You know, in in the middle of nowhere, um, it's it's almost impossible. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. I mean, the van rentals. If you if you don't have your own van, you got to rent a van, and you know, people have to eat, people have to sleep, and you can't expect yeah. them to sleep on top of each other in the van, which I've yeah. done plenty. Uh, yeah, but, me too. <laughs> But you know, um, so I, I completely 
uh, empathize with your situation is like if it's not going to be worth it then we're not playing and it, you know we'd rather we'd rather just and we're about to put out a new album ourselves so we're just sort of using the internet as our as our tool to sort of spread mm-hmm. the message and mm-hmm. um i i really um i really like i really like what you're doing man i, I and um i can't wait until your new stuff comes out um the i we can speak briefly on your ba- uh, Balku's village what how did that come up uh, come about um so uh in 2000 and in 2011 i registered a company called um, Positive Image Arts. Mm. Um, Positive Image Arts is like the umbrella body for my artistic endeavor. Uh, Underneath of it, I've performed as a solo artist with all my teaching, workshop, traveling around and sharing my culture. I have a cultural group called African Folklore Ensemble. I have uh, my band, Baoku. And then I have, during, before the studio, I, the vision was to have a studio that will house all my artistic endeavor. And in June last year, I started the project. It uh, final and um, in uh, November last year, and voila, I have Balco's Village as um, a music, art, and wellness center where I'm able to teach. I'm able to house my band. I'm able to do a whole lot of all my artistic endeavor in there and today that's and my band is what is left of my artistic life because i cannot slow down my artistic life a little bit to to try to not be a struggling artist anymore so i'm working full-time and then doing art and part-time and and then so what do you do full-time you is is your teaching is that what you're doing full-time no, no, the teaching, the teaching represents my full-time. Uh, for the last five years until last year, I was a full-time artist. Okay. You know? But right now, I work for, I work for a regular job. Okay. Right on, yeah. I'm about to be a busser again. I was a full-time musician, and um, me and my wife, um, we own a business out there, which is still running out there, which is... I mean, it's kind of the same idea, is, uh, mm-hmm. but we work with schools and we teach mm-hmm. um, art and she she's a singer as, as well mm-hmm. and she teaches like glee clubs. So we were able to mm-hmm. make make a business out of that, which is still, mm-hmm. continue, which is still going on, which is amazing to me. Um, and so now that we're back in Toledo, I, I don't have any equipment here. It's all back in San Diego still. And um, I'm about to be a buster. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so to go from artist and business owner back to a job for me is is kind of a hard thing to do, but it's what for we have too. to do. Yeah, yeah. but like I'm doing what I have to do right, right. now. And, and you got two boys, years, right? Do uh, you just mm-hmm. have the- I have twin boys. I've only have the two years. Oh, man. I have one boy. <laughs> I couldn't imagine what two boys would be like. <laughs> so, well, just, so. if you see it as double blessing, just oh yeah, totally. Take, take all the take all the job that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. I, no, it's a to- it's a complete blessing. I love what he's yeah. done f- to me as a human being, um, mm-hmm. and he's awesome. But as you know boys can be a bit rambunctious <laughs> so so it can be it can be challenging but 
Yeah. I love them yeah. and it's awesome. And you know what? I'm going to go bust some tables until I can mm-hmm. figure out how to m- make music make me money again. So yes, whatever. Yes, you do what yes. you do. That is that is uh that is uh that is what I'm going through right now myself. Hey man, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Um on that, man, when when can we be expecting your uh, new album to be released? Um it's going to be about 6 months. 6 months? Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'll I'll definitely post some um uh i would definitely put some links on to, so people can get your music and in, in the show notes and where can people find you what websites facebook um uh, for my studio is baokusvillage.com baoku b-a-o-k-u-s village baokusvillage.com for my band is baoku music B-A-O-K-U music.com and uh, for my company is positive image arts.com and I'm on Facebook um, the is forward slash Bauku or forward slash Bauku Moses so um, it's actually easy people can remember just Google Bauku Moses it will bring up um, all my all my artistic endeavor the last 15 years up till now in america beautiful man i i really do appreciate you taking your time out of your day and um um best of luck with the album and like i said i can't wait to hear what you you're coming out with next so um thanks a lot man thank you so much i really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show thank you and best of luck to you too thank you well i hope you enjoyed that um he's quite a guy he's been through a lot and um i just want to thank him for coming on the show and being open about his life and his music I hope you enjoyed those two tunes, which I cannot pronounce, but I hope you enjoyed them. And I'll include a link to the to where you can buy his stuff, um, buy the, the actual album, and be on the lookout for that new album. Write the show, We Speak English Good, at gmail.com. And, of course, the website, the Baron Plain website, wespeakenglishgood.net. All right, gang. Be nice to your fellow human beings. HJs for everybody. Peace, love, and sniffles.